Welcome to the Street Smart Wisdom Podcast from Wisdom Feed. I'm Steve Stein. In this series, we talk to best-selling authors and thought leaders doing great work in the world of mindfulness, wellness, and creativity. Our mission is to bring ancient ideas down to street level and bring you takeaways that you can apply to everyday life. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterListen.com. At BetterListen, we have hundreds of audios, courses, and programs available to stream and download. As a listener to the Street Smart Wisdom podcast, you are eligible for a free audiobook download. Just visit BetterListen.com forward slash free today. Today's show features Thomas Moore, the best-selling author of Care of the Soul. Thomas is an old friend, and it was truly an honor to speak with him. In this show, I discovered that my iPhone does indeed have a soul. We spoke about literature, writing, how Thomas got started in his career, and the importance of soul in our modern world. A very interesting discussion. Enjoy the show. Welcome. We're here today with our friend Thomas Moore, author of many books, most notably Care of the Soul. And uh, here's an opportunity for our, our listeners to find out a little bit more about this. Uh, I think he's an iconic thinker. And uh, so welcome, Thomas Moore. And tell us who you are, Thomas. Well, I can start with my name. <laughs> Thomas Moore, it's my name. I actually have had people ask me if it's a stage name because it's a name of uh, some, some famous people. Uh, I've always thought about Thomas Moore, the, the Englishman who was a saint in the Catholic uh, tradition. And uh, uh, he lost his head because he, he wouldn't turn religion over to the, to the king or turn his life over to the king. I think that's... Uh, very relevant to me even today. And uh, it's an Irish name. So I have a very close relationship with Ireland. I, I first traveled to Ireland when I was 19 and spent two years in Northern Ireland studying. And then I, since then I've gone back uh, countless times. I couldn't tell how many times I've gone back to Ireland. And I've lived there again at different times. My children went to school in Ireland. So that's an important part of my life. And I feel like half of my my loyalty or half of my my being is in Ireland and I have many friends and relatives there. And uh, another aspect to, to me is that uh, my dad was a plumber and I come from a family of plumbers. I don't come from a family of university people and intellectuals. I come from plumbers. And my, my wife always says that I'm dedicated to to exploring these vast ideas of the culture and try to, to translate them for plumbers who can really enjoy them. And so that is a big part of my life. It's part of my character, who I am. And um, so I, I've written a lot of books. That side of me is there too. Uh, I love to write. I just love to write. I have a passion for writing. Every day I have to write. And 
I'm always writing several books at once. Right now, today, I have three books just about ready to give to my edit, my uh, agent. I have, uh, I, um, I've, I have a book, uh, Therapy, that I finished, totally finished, ready to go. I have a book called The Nine Laws of Life that I've been writing for a while, and that needs a little bit more work, about one more week, and then I'll have that finished. And I've written a detective story. I like reading detective stories. I've written a few. I never published them, but I have one now that at least I'm going to give it a crack and see if someone might like to, to read it. For what detective stories do you enjoy or have you enjoyed over the years? I'm just curious. Well, I like the, I like the kind of uh, literate ones. The ones have some literate, literate quality to them. I'm not interested in the really blood and guts ones. I don't go for those too much. Police procedurals I read, but I'm not too happy with those. I like what they call cozies. And the people who read detective stories understand that word. It means a detective story where there's not too much uh, of blood and where uh, the characters are interesting and uh, like there are some television shows that are cozies like Midsummer Murders or Agatha Christie stories are cozies. I think maybe you might even say Sherlock Holmes or Cozy's. So they're interesting stories, and that's what I like. And I, I write that kind of a story. Um, I'm a little jealous. You do so much writing, but I hope to do more writing. Uh, and I think that's, that, that, that's phenomenal that you could have three kind of books going on parallel, and we're promoting a fourth book in the previous conversation that you did two year, uh, a year or so ago. Um, but why? Why did you start to write? And, uh, you know, what, why, why, why do you feel that compelled to, you know, to put well, ideas down on paper? My philosophy is that I don't choose anything. I don't choose what to do. I don't choose the shape of my life. I, I, I have to make some choices, but fate or life itself has has designed my life. I, I would never have, I would never have uh, created a life like I have had. It doesn't make any sense. If you had asked me when I was 20 years old, would I write a bunch of books, 30 books on the soul, I'd, I'd laugh because it wouldn't make any sense to me. So I've had, I've had uh, my life changed by circumstances by, uh, or by making certain choices over time. And, uh, because of that, as time has gone on and these choices have multiplied, uh, I hardly recognize myself. I mean, I, I, I've done what I think life wants of me, but that's what I keep trying to do. But I don't choose all of this. And so, uh, I, but my education has really prepared me for it. So that's another instance of where life has prepared me, but I never would have been able to do it myself. So. I went to a Catholic seminary when I was a young man, when I was 13. It was a monastic uh, community. So I lived as kind of a monk. They don't use the word monk exactly, but it's a very technical distinction. How did that happen? Well, How did that happen? Well, you know, what made you make that decision? Or did you just make a left turn and you were there? Or were you compelled to do it? When I was, when I was a kid, I, I went to a Catholic school and there were nuns all around. And I was at a, a church where there were Catholic priests. Where did you grow up? I don't think I think I missed that. Detroit. Oh. A lot of people come from Detroit. Okay. And uh, so 
uh, it was a great place for me to grow up, and I loved it. And uh, but when I was when I saw the life of these priests, I thought, you know, I really liked what they were doing, and I liked them, and I thought I'd like to. I think I'd like to try that. But it meant leaving home when I was 13 years old. That was not easy. And it would take 12 to 13 years to go through the process of becoming a priest, go through all the education. I did that. So I learned Latin and Greek uh, when I was starting out learning Latin and Greek in high school, and then further into college. And uh, my courses in philosophy and theology were taught in Latin, a lot of them, most wow. of them, taught in Latin. I had to answer questions and exam questions and Latin. It was that kind of a thing. You know, nobody today would go through that. My my fifteen year old, uh, for not really by choice, by kind of uh, accident, he's taking Latin now in high school. Excellent, that's great. See, Why that, is that great? I, 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 because well, I know I, I'm a big fan of etymology and the history yeah. of words. Yeah. What, what, why is it? Because when, when we stop talking, I'm going to go tell them why it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it does a lot of things. First of all, it does help with the language. I'm able to use words and really know their, their, their depth with both Latin and Greek because our English is dependent largely on both Latin and Greek. So uh, that really helps me a great deal. I can, I can use etymologies. And besides that, I know when I use a word, I know it's deeper meaning. So often I have trouble because um, people don't hear the same word that I use because I'm thinking of the more original meaning of the word. Like psychotherapy. You know, the word in Greek means soul, psyche, soul, therapy, care. So care of the soul is what the word psychotherapy means. Now, most people don't think of the word psychotherapy that way. So I have problems because I, I tell people I do psychotherapy, but if when I say that, I could get in trouble because I don't, I, don't I don't have the same education that most therapists have today. So anyway, that's, that's one thing. The other thing about Latin and Greek or Latin, if you want to talk about your son, Latin um, also gives you exposure to, to uh, another uh, culture one of these early cultures. So, and most of the time when you read Latin, you, you learn a lot of interesting things. You learn about logic and you learn about, uh, you learn to think in a quite a deep way because the Latin texts we study have a lot of depth to them. So that's, that's another thing about it. Also, it just cultures you to learn languages. The more languages you, you know, I think the, the deeper your culture is your, as a person. So, uh, there are many, many reasons to study Latin. I, I, I think it's a wonderful idea, and it'll be useful the rest of your life, no matter what you do. Excellent. Good to know. So another thing you, you spoke about was uh, your, my father was an electrician and owned a record store, um, but mostly trades. Your, your father or your family was plumbers, you said? Yes. Yes. So, you know, the whole thesis or idea for this whole Street Smart Wisdom podcast or video series, whatever, however you're hearing this now, is to like, how do you take these esoteric or Latin sounding or foreign sounding concepts? And what does it have to do with a plumber or an electrician or someone on Wall Street? Because that I think is uh, 
I think there's two points that need to kind of be connected. And it's almost like if they could be translated from Latin or from foreign sounding ideas to street smart, street level conversation, there's value in there. So um, what does your 30 books have to do with real life? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I want to be clear about this because I am not a popularizer. I don't see myself that way at all. I'm too much of an egghead to be able to do that. You know, too, I have too much interest in study and all these languages and these books around me. Uh, I mean, I've read all these books, you know, it's, they're not just there. <laughs> so um, I don't want to just popularize what I, what I do. On the other hand, I don't want to just write for other writers and other, you know, other with professors and people like that. It turns out that when, when I try to have sort of a middle place there, middle ground, like you might say a Buddhist approach, you know, the middle way. And um, that way I don't satisfy the professors and I don't satisfy the man on the street, the person on the street. So uh, that's a problem. I, I don't popularize. I, I understand what that means. I see people doing it, but I don't do that. But I do try to present my ideas in, in ordinary language. I try to avoid jargon as much as I can. Um, I try, you know, that here's the thing. I see myself as a writer. I don't know if anyone else does, but I do. I don't, I don't hear that from, from people very often. They don't treat me as a writer. I've been invited to writers' conferences or things like that, you know. It's very rare for me to do that. I wish I would because I see myself as a writer, but nobody sees me. They see me as a self-help person, I think, which, you know, is not very kind to me. I don't like that, that, that <laughs> box at all. I see myself more like uh, Emerson, uh, Waldo Emerson and uh, Thoreau, who wrote a kind of practical philosophy. So I would, if you read my books, it asks, it's, they're a bit demanding for the average person. You'd have to, you know, you have to work at them a little bit. On the other hand, you know, three, three million books of Care of the Soul, three million copies almost of Care of the Soul have sold. So that's a lot of, for that kind of book, you know, more, a lot of people are, are reading it. And that's just this kind of scratching the surface because people are giving them away to each other all the time. So a lot of people have read these books. So they, it must be intelligible. Well, why do you think uh, Care of the Soul struck a chord? Is it just the name? I mean, I, 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 that, when I read it, it I found it uh, not easy to read, but relevant. And, um, and uh, there were certain things that I remember, vaguely remember, and it comes to, again, we're trying to see, well, how can you care for your soul as you go through day-to-day -day life? And when there was some saying above the doorway when someone walked in, um, uh, or what, what are certain things to, to inject soul into your everyday life or into your experience or quality of life, you know? Well, you know, the first part is to realize that you have a soul. You're not a, you're not a machine. Today, today, and this was true when I wrote the book, but it's even worse today. Today, all fields, including psychology and even religion in many ways, uh, treat us 
human beings as if we were totally material. And so today the whole thing is about the brain, you know, what part of the brain lights up when you love or when you hate or something like that. That's so materialistic. It's exactly contrary to what I wrote in Care of the Soul. And yet it is the way we think today and everything. In psychology and medicine, evidence-based medicine means you don't really, a doctor doesn't treat the person as a person at all. The doctor has to look up and see how this particular symptom has been treated successfully and use that method. It's, I think it's dehumanizing. The whole thing is dehumanizing. So care of the soul really basically means let's not buy into this way the culture is going. And as I said, it's worse today than it was 25 years ago when I wrote care of the soul. And I feel quite frustrated because I would like to just blast this idea out. And I hate listening to the to the news or to l listen to pe what people are hearing in the media because it's all about behavior and, and medicine is so is so only physical and people are treated as objects so all of that just gets to me you know so i hope that when people saw care of a soul that it wasn't just the title but that was something it's a very ancient phrase i think it has some zip to it and uh and then um what, what I hear from most people is that they, they bought the book and let it sit on their shelf for a few years, then they read it when it was time. That's what they always tell me. They read it when it was time to read it. And they did read it, and they, they got some, some ideas about how not to live in this culture that is. And again, now, you know, I have 15-year-old and 13-year-old. So, so I'm not sure if I caught this right, but... Now we do a lot of work in the mindfulness world and we try to, even with mindfulness, well, how do you bring that to uh, street level? You know, what is it, if you're a monk or if you're already Akrapalu or Omega, that's great. You already kind of get the concept, but what does it have to do with the rest of the world? And um, so I think you're speaking to that, but what do they talk about uh, where there's biofeedback or there's neuro neurofeedback where they can watch the brain and see if you're actually meditating. So, but it sounds like I find that fascinating because there's real world proof, but you can't, is there such a thing as soul biofeedback or? Yes, there is. I mean, you have to understand, I, I detest that thing. <laughs> no, I, I know, no, but I find it I interesting. No place in my, in my life. No, but that's why I bring it up because it's an extinction. And especially use the word proof. You know, that just really riles me because uh, we've had centuries of deep thinkers and artists who have explored the human situation that we're in with such depth and, and insight. And they don't need to be proven by science. It, see, that's the thing. We, uh, if we could just appreciate, read a good novel, or read a good, one of the great plays of the Greeks, the early Greeks, there's so much to get from that about what it means to live as a human being. And today, people want to go out and find out how you can prove that in a laboratory with wires, to wire somebody up. I think that's a, that's, oh boy, I can't think of a word bad enough for that. Because <laughs> it takes the soul out of what we're doing. And you don't have to prove anything. You have to just explore with your, you are a human being with a mind and imagination. Well, explore these things. You don't need proof. 
But that's what I'm, that's I guess what I'm trying to get out of. Uh, because often, like my non-believer friends, or uh, not so often necessarily, but uh, or from at a dinner table, you know, and I and uh, conversation, not people from Omega or the Open Center or Kripalu, you know, just the normal middle of the road people, very nice people in our community, and you say the word now uh, meditation or uh, mindfulness, now it's a buzzword, of course. Uh, everyone still kind of glosses over, but when you can, but when you have a science, there's all this science that backs it up. Now I know you're cringing, so I am. Still mentioned because uh, I think it's relevant. So when you could say that they've done scientific studies that you have telomeres, which is the strand of your DNA that they found that people that live to 100 years old plus, they have longer strands of telomeres and they've done science that people who have done mindful meditation, their strands get longer. They're like, no way. You know, they're now all of a sudden, they're out of their day-to-day paycheck, mortgage, vacation, and they're like, wow, the mind does connect the body. So when those people have read the books at the right time, what have they said that made it worthwhile, you know, in the soul uh, that affected their day-to-day life or care of the soul? Well, I have to say, you know, I get letters and emails from people every day about this. Uh, just today, I've had, I think, three already today from people, and these people were from all parts of the world, not just, they weren't, I don't think any of them were Americans. And they are telling me that they get this, they get this idea and they have, it's been growing in them for a long time anyway, and that I was able to give them a language and spell out further what they were looking for, that they could feel the, the fact that the, the, the world around them is making them feel more like a machine and that they're losing hope and, and uh, uh, they've, lost, they've lost their traditional religious ideas as well. I, I got that this morning in emails. People saying, I used to be religious, but I can't be anymore. And help me, you know, help me. See. Because I don't want to just be secularist. I want to be something, but I can't do what I used to do. That's a theme I love. I mean, that's something I've written several books about. I love it. I want to write more books about that uh, there are ways of being religious and spiritual where you don't have to stick with the, uh, the traditional established religions. You can draw from them and learn tremendously from them, but you don't have to be a member in order to go ahead and live your spiritual life in your own way with your own talent and your ideas. So that's part of the soul too. So traditionally the word soul uh, includes a spiritual life. And uh, so I do both. I try to be spiritual and, uh, uh, and just have this depth of soul at the same time, link them together in everything I do. This is, by the way, where Hillman and I differ. A lot of people think I just write about what Hillman said. Um, Jim was, I mean, Hillman was terrific. Uh, I mean, you know, I think he's the most brilliant person ever to have lived, actually. I mean, I, I'll go that far. But, um, but he didn't get it right on the spiritual thing. Exactly. He, he, he did write some very wonderful things about it, but he had a, he, he had an antagonism about religion and about the spiritual life. He, he, didn't, he didn't like it. 
he always used we were very close friends but he would he didn't like the monk in me he said you know he always had the trouble with that so what i've tried to do though is to bring the spiritual and the spirit and soul together in all my work and i keep my spirituality intact although i don't belong to any tradition at all uh I think it's, I think anybody, when you get to a certain point, you kind of let them go. They've been your training wheels and uh, you develop your own spirituality your own, and you can do that. And uh, I think it's much richer and it's more responsible. Okay. So that, that, that's all. I want to enjoy watching this again because there was some interesting points. And I, I think um, one thing that I'm personally uh, interested in, especially now. So here, technology is, you know, changing at a rate that uh, we, we're able to do this. And uh, to record something, you're in New Hampshire, I'm in New Jersey. Wonderful. And uh, even just a few years ago, this technology uh, would be very costly and still might not work. And hopefully this is working. You know, it's still not 100%, but the evolution at, at such a pace, uh, especially with kids, you know, they, my wife spends some time on Facebook, maybe too much time, but she found this clip that I thought was amazing. They had some like 12, 13, 14 year olds. They put them in a room with an old dial up phone. And they said, okay, make a call. And it was a half hour, they couldn't figure it out. They tried dialing without picking up, and then they tried picking up without, it was, it was funny. But with all the video games and with all the things going on now, uh, what does soul have to do with, you know, everything is so damn digital, and there's positive aspects of it. But I think it's almost one step further removed from, you know, does, does the iPhone have a soul? Is it a net plus or a net positive? Uh, oh, I think, it, I think it definitely has a soul. And uh, as it depends how, how you use it in a way. Like I think our use today of technology right now is this very soulful thing because we're having a conversation. And one of the most important things to the soul is a good conversation. And there's nothing more important. Now you can have it while you're shopping at the supermarket with somebody or you can go and meet someone for a picnic or go to lunch you can have it there but in some ways this conversation we're having is even more soulful because we can see each other and we can we can talk about that we talk about some things that are really important and we, we include other people like that's that's the see i see you as a psychotherapist i see that you your work is psychotherapy in an extended sense not professional but real and so what you're doing is, is and you've done your, your whole life, I've known you a long time. You have, uh, you've been doing this work and uh, you are encouraging conversations of substance and uh, you're making them happen in a way that's attractive to people. So I see your work as psychotherapy, which means care of the soul. And it's soulful to have a good conversation. Whether you have it on a, on a screen doesn't, or at a restaurant, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. So it's kind of neutral. Yeah, there's a lot more I, could, I can go on for a while, but I think... Uh...
Our friends at Better Listen are offering a special discount to listeners of the show. 20% off all programs by Thomas More. Just go to betterlisten.com, search for Thomas More, and use discount code SOUL20 when checking out. Enjoy. Uh, we've covered a lot of bases. Any last thought? Oh, um, I have this question that I throw at people. And so if you were a superhero, what would your origin story be? Was there something that happened or some event that all of a sudden you changed things or what, any origin story or overarching kind of story that comes to mind? Well, you know, I, I know mythology pretty well. And one of the things that, I, that we study, those of us who are, work in mythology, are origin stories and, of cultures and of people and heroes. And there are certain things I would expect, like um, I would expect that somehow my origin, if I were going to be a hero, would have to be involved with animals in some way. So very often at the, the birth of a hero, you have animals. Now in the case of Jesus, you have these animals that are very important to the story. They don't appear in the, in the New Testament Gospels the way they do in our, in our traditions, but they're still very, very important having the animal there. And you look at some other myths of the birth of the hero, there are animals involved or they have an animal nature. There's something about us being animals, that we have an animal totem, something is an animal that's close to us. And uh, we're animals in general. So that's part of it. Another is that the hero usually has many parents, not just the original parents, not just the physical parents. So in some cases the hero might be left and abandoned, so these other people come along and pick up and become the parents. There are lots and lots of stories about that. And it's not about literal abandonment, it's about the fact that a hero should have a parent too, that's something that parents sent him or her, that, uh, that is uh, maybe otherworldly or different from just uh, physical parents. So I would have to talk about uh, some other parents that I have, some, as much as I love and, and, and tremendously respect my own parents, uh, we're always finding new parents in life. I've had so many fathers in my life. It's amazing how many <laughs> fathers have come along. Few mothers, but not as many as fathers. Maybe that's because I'm a man. That's just a natural thing. But um, at any rate, I think that the story would involve those factors. And I, it would take me some time to write up a story. I do it. But uh, those are the, some of the elements I'd want. No, that's, that, that's fascinating. Okay, so... Uh, anything else before we wrap up this segment? Um, if I'm going to introduce myself in a way, I, I can't do it without mentioning my family. I have a, a wife who is a painter and a yoga teacher, and she trains yoga uh, teachers. And uh, she's a senior, in other words, a very senior kind of a yoga person. And uh, she connects her art and yoga together. She has people do yoga and then paint. And she has her own painting uh, practice as well. And she's a wonderful painter. She's taught me a lot about the visual arts. My daughter is uh, 26 now, and I homeschooled her. Uh, I have a background in music. I studied music up through graduate school, composition. 
and I taught her music theory, and that helps her now, but she's a singer and plays many, many instruments, and right now she's in South America uh, performing, and she's traveling all over the world to, with her music, which is somewhat spiritual and somewhat popular, uh, wonderful, very bright and talented person. And my stepson is, uh, Abe is an architect who is trying to build buildings that are sensitive to the communities in which they're built so that they don't just plop down a building in a community and let them you know, deal with it. They actually uh, work with the community to see what kind of building that community needs. So I have a very rich and wonderful family and, and so my identity isn't complete unless I talk about that. I like that. And what's, the, uh, what's your website if people want to find out more? My website is thomasmoresoul.com. That's S-O-U-L, thomasmoresoul, all one word, dot com. Okay, excellent. All right, Thomas, that was, that was a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Steve. You've been listening to Street Smart Wisdom, the podcast from Wisdom Feed. You can follow Wisdom Feed on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. If you haven't, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. We appreciate your feedback. Join us next week for another Street Smart Conversation. Thank you for listening.